It's Friday, and we are working for Crusoe. Sam Park and John Ramey with you. And truth be told, it's actually Thursday. We're taping this one day early on Thursday, June 15th, for publication on Friday, June 16th, 2023. Sam, you know that we are hard at work all the time, 24-7, to give the listeners the best podcast imaginable. It's grueling, really. But I am taking... uh, uh, an extended weekend with my partner, Helen, who is English, who has never seen the great American Southwest beyond, I guess, Las Vegas. So we're leaving Los Angeles. We're going to go to the Grand Canyon, things of this nature. And uh, that is great. It is. And a canyon. The name. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I, yeah, I'm very excited for her to react to it. And, uh, you know, Monument Valley and all these things, too. So and I guess there might be water in it now. Well, I'm not going to get that too. Close enough to look. I don't like oh, heights, right. but I'll take Helen's word for it. You can ask her. <laughs> um, we have a very exciting series of topics today, including but not limited to um, German defense strategy and Beyonce and her impact on inflation. How about that for a tease? That's pretty good. German rearmament and Beyonce and inflation. Uh, that, to, to be- I don't, I'm being I'm being hyperbolic. The Germans have a national defense plan for the first time. And excuse me, it's a national security plan because it involves things that are not strictly defense related. In fact, the opposition party in Germany pounced on that when uh, the Schulz government released this and said this and they are, you know, essentially using air quotes Security plan talks about climate 71 times and China only six times. Now, I tend to think the word count critique of any document release, whatever speech is kind of a cheap and dirty uh, critique and not. Yeah, that's sort of specious. I, mean, uh, I, I But um, yeah, it talks about climate change as a security threat to Germany. Now, now, I would honestly, if I were. And by the way, the United States military does this, too. Yes, but. If I I would actually make the case that climate change is a greater threat to Germany than China is. I think it's a greater threat to the United States than China is. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I hope that and I'm not confident this will happen, but I hope that somebody from the Green Party that's inside one of the three parties in the coalition government will flap right back at them and say, hey, guess what? This is actually the threat. All right. This is actually damaging our, our the safety of our citizens today uh and maybe it hasn't gotten real hot yet in germany this summer it's gonna now it's interesting schultz is um leading as you mentioned a three-party coalition government in germany yes the first in their history by the way and they were elected in part because they promised to put together a security plan yes and i guess let's just clear the elephant in the room. Wait, what do you mean Germany's never had a security plan? Why wouldn't the United States has a security plan? Great Britain has a security plan. In fact, the United States and Great Britain have security councils, which Germany chose not to do. Um, But the point is, Germany hasn't been a reunited country for all that long. And generally speaking, the lessons of the 20th century have the international community, I guess, traditionally less than enthusiastic when Germany focuses on um their security or defense or let's let's put it plainly they're military right right? i mean uh and 
Nobody's in a hurry to see Germany thinking about their military. Well, actually, some people are in a hurry. Well, now, now they are, but for the last they, 80 years, yes. nobody has been. And uh, and this is we've talked had, a, uh, I think, most of an entire episode about this earlier this year uh, when their defense secretary or I'm sorry, defense minister uh, was replaced due to a really just terrible public relations gap. But uh, uh, enough about that. Uh, the point is that, you know, non-militarism or in fact anti-militarism has been just a part of their political culture for many 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 years and it's been difficult for them to adjust to the new security environment in which they find themselves and that's not and that's not just outside oppression right in germany militarism led to not one but two disastrous wars for them correct and the world but specifically for germany so there was no political will of any real magnitude to have any thought or centrality of militaristic thinking for generations now in fact uh, in in some cases for instance back in the 80s when uh nuclear tip missiles were going to be uh, stationed in germany uh there were enormous protests against this right so there it, there was now that wasn't the political consensus view of the german population mind you but these were, I'm sorry, these were NATO nukes in West Germany or Soviet correct. nukes in East Germany? NATO exactly. nukes in West. The, I'm sorry, the, the NATO nukes in, in uh, you know, there would not have been large protests in East Germany at that time. There wouldn't uh, <laughs> And uh, again, that's not how all Germans felt, but there were enough of them that, that the protests were just massive. And this, in fact, was the political origin story of the Green Party that now sits as one of the three parties in the three-party coalition under the leadership of uh, Annalena Baerbach, who is now the foreign minister, and Robert Habeck. They are the co-leaders of the Green Party. Habeck is uh, the deputy chancellor, as well as the economy and environment minister, which, for the first time, is one job. Uh, he's, he that's not two separate portfolios. That's one position in the cabinet. It's not that it's not that one person just happens to hold two jobs. Uh, and you know, there's the old cliche about turning the aircraft carrier, right? Uh, and in this case, we're asking that of a country that does not have an aircraft carrier, and in fact, has never had one. Uh, and so this is just. Uh, you know, a lot of people are disappointed, including myself to some degree, that this was not a more robust document that they came out with yesterday, right? And I can, in fact, kind of see the point that the Christian Democrats, that is the main opposition party, are making. They that, are the more conservative party. Yeah, they are sort of, as I think you said it in the in our last episode in which we discussed Germany, they're sort of like the George H.W. Bush Republican right. Party of old, right? right? Uh, and... You know, Annalena Baerbach, whom I admire very much, but she was sitting there talking about how, you know, security also involves having clean hot water when you're taking a shower. Right. And I'm just like, well, really? I mean, okay, but, uh, you know, it's are we going to go to war over hot water? I mean, it just doesn't. um, So, you know, again, we might wish that they were doing this more quickly and uh but it's just going to be difficult for them perhaps honestly you know just because the christian democrats have historically been the more national security 
oriented party might they might be doing a good job but i would remind our listeners that angela merkel was a christian democrat and she's been roundly criticized for her what is seen to be her accommodationist approach towards russia during her 16 years at the helm of a Christian Democrat-led party. So if you were actually going to be doing a lot better job, well then. The other two kind of uh, things the opposition, the Christian Democrats are uh, criticizing is that uh, the current government in Germany resisted calls for Germany's military spending to exceed the NATO-wide threshold of 2% of gross domestic product. Um, That's obviously the United States spends more than 2% of their GDP on, on defense, but for NATO writ large, it's kind of like, Hey, you need to be contributing 2% of your GDP to your military. The United States would like its NATO partners to each be contributing. And disappointingly, countries can spend more than that, but that's kind of the, the the floor. That's right. Uh, Disappointingly Schultz yesterday, uh, Chancellor Schultz yesterday said that in his mind, 2% was a long-term target. For Germany. So Germany's not even there. No, oh no, they they ha- they have been one of the the main holdouts, and since their economy is much larger than that of uh, many European countries, and larger than any other, uh, to get to two percent would be robust defense spending. It would be the, the like of which spend, Germany but, certainly has not done since the end of the Second World War. But that's why it's a percentage, right? It's right. just like we shouldn't expect uh, small countries. Finland, Germany, dollar right. for dollar, that right. would be absurd. Right. The other thing is um, they did not create a National Security Council, which the United States has, the NSC, and uh, the UK has. And that's largely because they've been such a non-militaristic country for so many years that, uh, for instance, uh, in America, we all know, or you know, informed people know who the defense secretary is at any time. That's probably not true in Germany, right? Foreign policy is not quite the exclusive remit, but overwhelmingly the remit of the foreign ministry, headed today by Annalena Baerbach. Germans always know the name of their foreign minister. They might probably don't know the name of their defense minister at any given time. They probably do today. It's Boris Pistorius, by the way, of the social Thank Democrats. you. Uh, but that's not something they're used to be to knowing. I mean, we love history and the fingerprints of history are all over this, right? Why why would it not be politically advantageous to have thought about national security prior to this point in Germany? And if you know history, as we said, they were on the wrong or the losing side of the two most catastrophic wars in the history of humanity war like war in the united states can become unpopular right we've experienced that since the end of the second world war yeah when we start to lose yeah we don't like wars that we don't totally win uh you know quickly (laughs) right uh germany has there's no gray area with germany that's right it went really bad twice for those people yeah and so that there's no It, it makes all the sense in the world right but when you read it just like Germany has a security plan. Well, it sounds reasonable. Sure. Uh, but it's not something that they're used to doing. And yeah. uh, the question is, how quickly can they get used to it? I guess the real question I have, and you're not, I mean, neither of us are um, 
defense experts or um, military strategists, but what does a more robustly militarized Germany do for the West? Well, it it produces a lot more armaments, for one thing. So it's just a quicker resupply to a place like Ukraine? Exactly. Right. I mean, Germany is still an industrial power. Right. Manufacturing. Right. right. So that they, you know, they could be producing a lot more armaments. But I think the broader answer to your question is the same as the answer to the question about why the Christian Democrats didn't do more when they were in power. Well, it's like China's not going to invade Germany. That's right. And uh, certain adherents of the what we call the neoliberal consensus were of the belief that nobody should have to do this. Right. That that the sort of, you know, democratic and capitalist system would just inevitably sweep over the world. Right. And I will nonsense. But many people believed this. But it was true until it wasn't. Well, was it, though? I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess I guess you know what? That you're right, because Russia didn't just invade Ukraine. They did it in 2014. That's when right. Merkel was well in the middle of her tenure. Exactly. Right. And and so a lot of people were just sort of, you know, uh, uh, kind of willfully blind to this. Right. right? Uh, and that so- was they had already crossed the great no country with McDonald's had ever invaded another country with a McDonald's kind of nonsense. Right. That, uh, yeah, that had exactly. already happened. That had already happened in 2014. And yeah, I guess and, nobody really paid attention to it. Yeah. And, and the thing I would say that there was no there was never a good reason to expect that you know, things were naturally just going to work out. Uh, but that is what, the, and to be blunt about it, there was a large scale financial incentive for people to want to believe that things were just going to work out. Right. That's the old Upton Sinclair deal. Sure. Right. Much much like, by the way, in, in the lead up to World War One, right. people didn't think it was conceivable that they would do this because there was so much money being made. Right. Right. International trade in Europe was a big deal in 1914. Right. The same arguments we make now about, oh, there could never be an actually really big war. Yeah. The same arguments they made before the First World War. You're right. Yeah. But we managed to talk ourselves into it again. Right. Silly. Uh, Any other notes on uh, German uh, security, national security? No. I mean, until they come up with more, there's no point in actually talking about a lot more about it. Uh, But let's just hope that they will. Uh, they they are you know providing armaments and it'll be it will be difficult for them to sort of scale up their armaments industry very dramatically very quickly that's difficult for us by the way right so you know we shouldn't expect more of them necessarily than we're able to do uh but it's something to keep an eye on and it's just sort of vexatious that that it was kind of a disappointment yesterday that's all to the fed the european central bank inflation, and Beyonce. The Fed, after raising interest rates uh, 10 meetings in a row, are going to hold firm between 5 and 5.25% on their benchmark rate. Uh, Consumer prices in May were up 4% from last year. That is the smallest annual increase since March 2021, which I would say was the beginning of the current inflation spike or thereabouts, right? Yes, that's right. So inflation in the United States is slowing and the Fed is not 
tightening the brake right now. That's right. Uh, but they did, however, say that they seem to expect that there will be additional rate increases later this year. I cannot believe how consistently transparent and direct Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, has been throughout this entire process. And yet, as we have mentioned in other episodes, uh, uh, ostensibly informed people who run banks seem to not be able to understand what he's saying. Well, he's being very clear here. We're going to raise him again, most likely. I think that that, uh, for instance, when he said that yesterday, markets fell, but only a little bit. Right. They, they felt like 100 points, which is not nothing. Right. But it wasn't like this, you know, mad collapse Catastrophic, of the financial right. industry. So I think in the aggregate, actually, right, uh, investors have started to uh, uh, come around to understanding that that Powell really does mean it. And to be fair, their tantrum might be ending is what you mean. Well, yeah, and to be fair, Powell would, if Powell folded in the face of pressure from investors, That'd he would bad. not be the first Fed chairman to have done so. Right, right? but it's a bad move. Yeah, it, it, it's, it would be a very bad idea, and it, I think Powell understands that he has to hold the line. And frankly, not raising rates yesterday was a tiny bit of a concession sure. right, to uh, the investment community, uh, but not very much of one. And I, I think that's the main reason that he made it clear that we're not necessarily done with rate hikes. So don't, you know, uh, don't get too eager about this. So most of the inflation drop last month, May, resulted from falling gasoline prices, notoriously erratic. Um, If you take away energy and food prices, which are volatile, inflation still running uh, at 5.3%. As yes, that's what they call core inflation, core, right? Right, and that's and the I Fed think, wants two percent. Yeah, then that's the main reason that that Powell made sure to mention that the additional rate hikes are almost certainly in the offing, right? Because core inflation is remains stubbornly high, uh, and that's really where uh, the meat is on the bone. Uh, there are other encouraging signs, however. For instance, I think it was on Monday or perhaps Tuesday that the New York Fed issued a smaller scale report saying that consumer sentiment was improving. That is, people still thought inflation was a problem, but they do perceive the the reduction in inflation that is happening. And that's some of the best news we can get, because as we've discussed on this program before, inflation is just as much or perhaps as much uh, about consumer expectations as it is about the actual underlying conditions. A friend of ours who is not politically attuned uh, asked me the other day if Biden was responsible for inflation and if he should be blamed. And I said, no, in fact, it's worse other places. Uh, And that's why the European Central Bank this week is raising their rates because inflation is worse in Europe. Considerably worse. Now, by the way, uh, some some economists and respected ones would say that Biden is partially to blame for inflation because of the enormous amount of spending that was included in the American Rescue Plan. Which which is a big part of the global economy. I understand. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that was an enormous amount of money. I would... I'm not saying that's wrong, but uh, 
it was at that point. The global economy is a big place, Sam. Yes, it was at that point that there were actually were enormous supply chain bottlenecks, right? right. So, in fact, uh, both sides of the inflation equation were being exacerbated. Were exacerbated, right? Right. There was a shortage of goods and an excess of money. Like if you had the same Biden kind of cash infusion into the United States economy now with the supply chains unkinked, it would have been a less inflationary event. Exactly. But still inflationary, right? Sure. If you can you can have inflation from either side of that equation being out of whack. I didn't bring this up to to mention Joe Biden. I just it was somebody who was saying, "Hey, do we blame Biden for this?" and and I said, "No, it's inflation's a problem all over the world." Yes, that's The right. central bank in Europe uh and this is interesting. They increased 25 basis points. So their main rate is now 3.5, which is lower than our Fed. Correct. I don't really know too much about comparing central banks and, and rates and stuff. But uh, the inflation number uh, for the European Central Bank for May, remember ours was four, core yeah. inflation 5.3. Theirs is 6.1. Right. So, yeah, it's a problem everywhere. It is a problem everywhere. And, uh, and it's something that... Uh, does seem to be moderating, which is good for everybody. Uh, and so we'll have to see how that plays out. But again, I, you know, I do believe that uh, the Fed will raise rates at least once more this year. Uh, All right. One, oh, sorry, interrupt. No, please go on. One thing that Sam Park, you always talk about is that uh, economics is a study of human behavior, right? It is not physics. That's right. Beyonce is touring for the first time in seven years in a solo tour. One estimate suggests this tour could gross almost uh, two billion pounds sterling. This was a, a British uh, UK article I read uh, by the time it ends in September. Beyonce opened this tour in Stockholm, Sweden, and there was legitimate inflationary events in conjunction with the opening concert of this tour sweden reported a higher than expect uh, higher than expected inflation of 9.7 percent in may and it was driven by uh hotel and tourist uh sectors and experts in sweden said yes we also see this around like big football soccer matches um i just thought it was interesting there's a beyonce inf- effect well, yes, but that's because Sweden is only a country of about ten or so million people, ten or so million people, right? And about one out of every ten of those people lives in Stockholm, uh, and so uh, the ripples in that pond, even if it's a drop that wouldn't make ripples here, that's right, are significant. Uh, yeah, uh, and so uh, that kind of. Uh, you know, again, it's hotels and restaurants and things like this. Here's the other thing. Uh, she played two nights, crowds of 46,000 each night. Reports our fans came from all over the world, especially the U.S., because the dollar is strong against the Krona. And right. so this was a steal. Yes, that's right. Uh, Stockholm's a, a lovely place. right? I'm sure especially that, now, right? This yeah, time of the yeah, year. Exactly, right? I mean, uh, yeah, we're coming up on midsummer very soon, right? That'll be next week. Uh, and so as these things go, 
uh, this is exactly the kind of thing that you would expect to happen in a country that small, right? Uh, so maybe, you know, I, look, it's not like the Swedish authorities are going to stop Beyonce from coming to to Stockholm. And, and you know, uh, at the end of the day, I'm sure they'd rather have the economic activity than not have it, right? But And, and since she's not going to be going back to Stockholm later in the tour that we were w- aware of, right, this will be a one-time inflationary burst that will just kind of you know get lost in the wash eventually just so that we have data on this the financial markets in sweden had expected inflation at 9.4 percent and the beyonce effect is thought to have driven this up as we mentioned at 9.7 uh percent yeah that's not nothing right no speaking of small economies new zealand is in a recession no kidding back-to-back quarters of uh declining GDP. Now, New Zealand's a country of um, 4 million, give or take. So it sounds worse than it is. God bless New Zealand. I've been there three times. Lovely country, beautiful people. But it's, you know, an economy the size of the city limits of Los Angeles, same population. Well, that's fine. But as far as I'm aware, Germany is also technically in recession right now. Very mildly, it seems, right? But uh, things are tough all over. Right. Right. Uh, But and so if the European Central Bank is raising rates, then that's probably not the best thing in the world for Germany. And in fact, uh, not to back up too much, but the German government is losing support in the polls. Uh, And especially, by the way, the Green Party, because Germans are upset about the stringency of the of environmental regulations that are being put in place. And so. Uh, this national security strategy that they've just unveiled, uh, you know, if it's a disappointment to people, it's not going to help the incumbent government. Shall we pivot to the cyclone? Sure. Okay. Now, we don't know a lot about uh, uh, the impact of it so far. There seems to have been... Well, hold on. I'm going to cut you off. Let's just, let's lay this out here. Uh, Dateline, Monvi, India, it's Cyclone uh, Biparjoy made landfall Thursday evening, and it's right on the uh, southern Pakistan and western India border, which is really the Indus River Valley. That's right. And uh, this cyclone has so far uh, led to thousands of people in India being evacuated. 100,000 have been brought to a relief camp according to Indian officials. And in Pakistan, it is it's 73,000 who have been evacuated to safer places. This cyclone uh, is expected to have uh, winds as strong as 86 miles an hour before slowing down over India's Gujarat province, which is on the east coast of the Arabian Sea. Um, also, real quick, what's the difference between a hurricane and a cyclone? They're the same. Same thing, right? It's called a hurricane when it's in the North Atlantic, Central North Pacific, Eastern North Pacific. They're called uh, cyclones when they form over the South Pacific and Indian Ocean, which is where this is happening. And then they're called typhoons when they develop in the Pacific Northwest or Northwest Pacific, different place like Japan. Japan. It'd be called a hurricane if it hit the Pacific Northwest. They don't happen, but if it were a, a, a cyclonic event, in Seattle, for example, that would be called a hurricane right. because it's the Northeast Pacific, which is weird. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand why there are different words for it, but that's fine. You know, it's that that's that. that hurricane that's comes from the indigenous word huracan, 
signifying evil spirits and weather gods learned by European explorers, uh, by the indigenous folks when they asked, what are these giant ships that are giant storms that are sinking our ships in the Caribbean? Anyway. Okay, fine. But now that we know that they're the same, th- I guess yes. you, know, you, you don't want to take it. I just wanted to make sure, you know, typhoon, cyclone, hurricane, same thing. This now, is terrible. And we're taping this on Thursday, so it could conceivably get worse by the time people hear this. I think we could be almost certain that it will. The good thing, though, is that, like you were saying, right, there are robust uh, measures that can be routinely employed to evacuate. I mean, 80,000, 100,000 people, that's a lot, right? And we don't, especially, uh, you know, we discussed Pakistan uh, a few weeks ago, and they're not. Uh, widely considered to be have the most competent government services, shall we say? So, Sam, I want to draw a start a stark, ideally a stark comparison here. If there were a hurricane headed towards Los Angeles right now, how confident do you feel we could evacuate eighty to a hundred thousand people to safer ground in any site? type of orderly fashion i I just i just i can't imagine such i could not imagine it so the fact that they're doing it is impressive and they did it days ahead of time they were starting to do this a couple of days ago that is tuesday of this week uh and so hats off to them right uh uh on both countries right they take this by the way some of the uh, uh areas of pakistan that are expected to be hit by this are the same ones that were that suffered catastrophic monsoon flooding last summer uh and so things aren't getting any better for those folks anytime soon that land already still hasn't recovered from those floods uh and so this is not going to be this is going to be worse news for pakistan in a nutshell than it is for india uh it's right near uh hyderabad yeah that would be the biggest pakistani uh city to the Indus River Valley, which more or less is kind of the boundary between Pakistan and Western India. Yes, and I mean it's a it, it's those these are large countries, so the boundary uh, uh, encompasses a lot of terrain, shall we say? Anything else you want to touch on with the cyclone? Nothing. I mean, it's something that we might come back to next week uh, if it ends up being very bad, which hopefully it won't. So hopefully we won't be discussing the cyclone next week preview for next week uh well let's see uh this weekend anthony blinken is in beijing and uh this is a makeup visit from the one that was canceled due to balloon gate earlier this year uh so this is something that really needs to happen right there's a lot of tension in a lot of areas between the united states and china right now i get the sense that china kind of every time we get close to these summits or whatever there's always some silly thing that china needlessly flames up and then it, it oh, kind of comes up apart, to... from, apart from balloon gate i guess well, now why are we all talking about the china base in cuba that's been there since 2019 like, okay why... but the thing is that that you is know, that, that chinese is... doing or is that just right wingers in our media i mean it could be either way the point is it did not derail the summit right uh and I, my internal kind of just natural narrative was oh somebody's trying to derail the summit again with some nonsense but they failed right in fact right. as far as i know blinken is already in beijing right, right. uh and so uh and this really needs to happen the the amount of communication between our two countries 
is disgracefully low. There's no hotline, right? Uh, That's bad. Yeah, Defense Secretary Austin has difficulty getting his Chinese counterparts on the phone. This really needs to be fixed uh, because it would be far too uh, easy for a misunderstanding to flare up out of control. Uh, And so that's something that we're going to need to keep an eye on. one other thing, just to, a quick update to a story that we did earlier this year on the PBS NewsHour last night, that is Wednesday night, uh, there was an update about Sudan, which uh, has not gotten any better. It's, in fact, gotten considerably worse. Now, we did, I think, a whole episode about Sudan a couple of months ago when this, uh, 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 really, we do have to call it a civil war now. Uh, first flared up. And I would just advise our listeners to go back onto, you know, go onto pbs.org or the the NewsHour YouTube channel just to, you know, find out what's going on there. Now, it's awful. But one thing that I wanted to mention about it is that there have been several ceasefires that have taken place uh, between the two conflicting sides. Uh, None of them have lasted, but each one of them has at least helped some humanitarian aid get through to the population. Nowhere near enough. But the point I want to make about this is that uh, the ceasefires have been mediated jointly by the United States and Saudi Arabia. And this is just one of many things that many areas of cooperation between the United States and Saudi Arabia that happen all the time without being widely commented on. Some of them are very much under the radar. For instance, there's still actions being taken against the Islamic State uh, and things like this. So there's With Saudi help. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Or at least consultation, right? Uh, And these things happen a lot. So on the top level, it looks like we're constantly having these contentious relationship with Saudi Arabia, this horrible former ally that is now our enemy. But that's not really what's happening underneath. And so it's important that we should keep that in mind when we see all these you know, frantic headlines about things. Uh, And finally, uh, we know that uh, President Trump, former President Donald Trump, that is, was indicted on uh, charges related to the Espionage Act this week. Now, that's the Espionage Act encompasses a number of different kinds of activities for which somebody can be charged. There is thus far no indication of actual espionage on Trump's part. That is to say, we do not believe that he actually shared any classified information with a foreign power. It is not reported in the indictment. That's right. It's not. He is not being charged with any such thing. Now, considering the lax security standards, to put it mildly, at Mar-a-Lago, it's possible that somebody could have stumbled across one of these documents and shared it with a foreign power. But hopefully... The Justice Department is trying to figure out who exactly had access and might have done so, you know, checking up on their communications and things like that. I think that, you know, both of these, honestly, I think both of these scenarios are probably very remote possibilities. But if the authorities believed that Trump did share this information with a foreign power or that a foreign power had somehow received access to this information, they might not actually say anything about it. 
because in intelligence, in the sort of hall of mirrors scenario that we often find ourselves in, you don't want them to know that we know that they know, et cetera. Right. And so now I'm not saying that this happened. Right. Uh, Again, I really doubt that it did. But just because it's not being charged doesn't mean we can say it didn't happen. And I hope that the authorities are at least tracking down that possibility. And finally, next week's episode, as far as I can tell, will be our last episode for about three weeks uh, because I'll be out of town the following week and then you'll be out of town on vacation for the following two weeks after that. No shot, Sam. I am going to be in Frankfurt, Germany uh, around the 7th of July, which is a Friday. I'll right. tape from there if you want to. Okay, well, we'll, we'll give that a shot. It's, a, it's the banking center of Germany, Sam. Correct. But as just so our regular regular listeners but know. Yes, we will have an interruption in our After state. next week, if they don't hear from us for a little while, don't, they shouldn't panic and worry that something awful has happened to either of us. Uh, <laughs> and next week, therefore, I mean, I think honestly, hopefully that the Blinken's visit to China will give us a lot to talk about then. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, thoughts, media at gmail.com. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks.